should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and our producer, Fong, is in studio. Say hello, Fong. Hello. Fong. Yeah, what's up? I like your name. Oh, thanks. Do you have a middle name? Yeah. Okay, we will not mention Fong's middle name. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like the sound of my middle name, that's all. My middle name's Meow. <laughs> See? I wish I had such a cool middle name. Do you know why? I mean, my my it's my actual legal middle name. And a lot of people think that it's a a stage name, which it actually is too. Um uh but but uh it it also is on my, you know, legal papers. My parents named my uh me michelle meow mm-hmm. um <laughs> do you know the story i know the story but i like you to tell us the story <laughs> all right all right all right I've, I've told it so many times but uh i've had to explain it um well my, my mom immigrated here in the late 70s and so she two, uh, two years after immigrating here from southeast asia she uh she got pregnant and but she got sick a lot and the doctors had advised her it was going to be a difficult pregnancy. So they said that she should have an abortion. The night before the abortion, she had this wild, crazy dream of this cat that just wouldn't leave her alone and just kept following her and following her and followed her home and kept meowing and meowing and meowing. Um, well, she's, you know, Tevada Buddhist, uh, which is, uh, you know, prevalent in Thailand, uh, in Laos. And so she, um, decided that that was a sign that I wanted to live. And so here I am 33 years later and my middle name is Meow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Interesting story, huh? Yes. I, I, my mom, it's just so interesting. Well, uh, let's get the party started here on the program. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So we celebrated Veterans Day. Uh, You know, of course, we're thanking all veterans who have served our country. And when I say all veterans, that is inclusive of transgender military persons. Um, So I'd like to welcome our next guest, Barbara Satin, who is a transgender U.S. Air Force veteran. Barbara, welcome to the show. Good afternoon or morning, whatever it is in California, here in Minnesota, (laughs) it's it's, uh, early afternoon, so... Well, we're still on the same day somewhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, Barbara, earlier in the year, I would say during the summer, there the, uh, the Pentagon actually released uh, a timeline, um, or the Department of Defense released a, a timeline, a prospective timeline in which, uh, you know, kind of uh, maybe by May 27th of next year, that transgender Americans would be able to serve openly. Um, what do you think? Well, I think it's wonderful. I think it's overdue, um, and I'm 
pleased that uh, they're going to do it, and I just wish they would move as quickly as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, t- take it as far away, you know, bring it as, as far away from the election because it just doesn't do anything but help serve um, as fodder for those who want to mm-hmm. um, insult and demise, uh, denigrate the, uh, the trans community. Right, right. I, I, I hate to, you know, sound like one of those where it's like, why can't we just do it now? Why can't we just, yeah, right, you know, what, right. what would be what would be the issue if um, you know, the military just said, you know, that when we all transgender military service members are able to serve openly, uh, would it be so bad? Well, I can understand their reason for, for maybe wanting to spend a good deal of time educating both the public but also the rest of the troops around uh, what it means to be transgender. Um, the work I do, I work for the National LGBTQ Task Force, and I do a lot of work around faith issues, particularly around the transgender community. And a number of churches, denominations, have become very supportive of, of trans and have basically said that they are welcoming to trans people in their, uh, in their pews. But the problem comes with a lack of education, and the congregants, the members of the church, uh, sort of feel, what do we do? Uh, how do we handle this? What, what's appropriate? What isn't appropriate? Uh, what are the issues? What are, what, how, how can I be supportive if I don't really know um, uh, what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to do or what's appropriate? What questions can I ask? What shouldn't I ask? So. That's part of why I think the the government taking some time, the uh, the Defense Department taking some time, is okay. But I don't want to get it. I don't want to see it get bogged down mm-hmm. into uh, um, conversation and argument. Um, do it, but you know, do it effectively and do it quickly. Mm-hmm. My guess is that, you know, like you said, uh, there has to be some official uh, or an educational process, even if, you know, the the I don't want to call it a ban because or, or, or is it a ban? Is there an official ban in the, in the military where the policy states that transgender military service members cannot serve? I don't think there is an actual ban that mentions trans or gender nonconforming. Uh, there may be something around sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, which has probably been in in place for a long period of time, um, and uh, you know, obviously, got brought up during the Clinton administration with "Don't ask, don't tell," um, and I think we got sort of swept in there um, as part of the uh, LGBT community, even though that's probably not how it was described within "Don't ask, don't tell." Um, so. Legalistically, the name transgender may not appear anyplace, but I, you know I think we are seen as part of the LGBT community, and and that translates into um, uh, queer and lesbian, uh, so uh, or, or gay and lesbian, and so we're sort of in that same category, even though you know. Our sexual orientation is not the issue. It's our gender identity and our gender expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, in my introduction, I mentioned that you're a transgender U.S. Air Force veteran. Uh, I mean, obviously, some trans uh, service members have been 
Uh, I, I I don't you know I'm not sure if they've been discharged or I, well actually yes we have had some stories of transgender service members being discharged. Um, do you want to talk about you know, kind of your experiences when you as an Air Force member as a veteran um, and kind of what that means to you? Sure. Um, you have to keep in mind um, I'm old school. I'm 81 years old, so I was in the service at a time when I had to be in the service. In other words, as a quote, male, uh, I had a responsibility. I had to serve at least two years of military service. Um, and how I served that, whether it was uh, I could be drafted or I could um, enlist in, in whatever branch of the service I wanted to do that, or I could be excused while I completed my um, college education, which is what I chose to do. And then I went through the uh, Air Force ROTC program at the uh, college that I attended, and I graduated from college, and I got my commission in the Air Force as a second lieutenant. Um, I knew that I was transgender, although keep in mind that the term wasn't even very well understood at that time. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been 19... I graduated in 1956. Christine Jorgensen... Um, had sex reassignment surgery in 1952, 53, someplace in there. So the whole concept of somebody um, having this gender conflict and having it resolved through uh, uh, hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery, all of that was just brand new stuff. Um, so I didn't have a lot of words around what I, how I perceived myself. I just knew that I was... Uh, innately more feminine and felt really uh, more satisfied um, doing uh, feminine things, doing women things. Uh, consider myself as best I could um, uh, as a as a woman, but trans woman, transgender, uh, transsexual, all of those things were sort of yet to come. But anyway, um, I had this responsibility to serve. I knew while I was serving that I had this thing inside of me that uh, I couldn't express. That wasn't too bad because I spent most of my life knowing that I had this thing inside of me that I couldn't define and couldn't express. So living in the shadows uh, as a trans person has always been sort of, had been always been part of my life. Um, it's only in, really until the latter part of my life that I, basically decide I had to figure out who this person was inside and let that person breathe and live authentically. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, once the military does open up uh, for transgender service members to, to serve openly, you know, kind of, I know that your emotions will be happiness and elation. Um, but do you, would you ever, you know, feel as if that you, might have missed out in your time that you've served uh, because you were not able to serve openly? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. It's really a question I get asked a lot about my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where we are with transgender issues today is so far removed from when I was growing up, when I was an adolescent, when I was a young uh, adult. Uh, it, and, and people say to me today, would you want to live your life over? And I said, you know, my life has been really 
uh, a good life, and I just am thrilled that we have come this far so that um, young adults, adolescents uh, who are beginning to understand that there's something going on within themselves, that now they have the resources uh, and the opportunity to sort of explore that. Uh, I, I didn't have that because we didn't even have people who knew anything more than the word transvestite. Um, I couldn't go to a doctor. I couldn't go to a therapist. I couldn't go to a, uh, my priest or my, my minister because they didn't even know. I would be telling them something they probably had never heard about. So I don't, I don't look back in, mm-hmm. um, in envy about uh, what, what's going on. I just look back and, and think how wonderful it is that today uh, young people in school or in, in um, uh, hopefully in the service will have the opportunity to be who they really are. Of course. Yeah, that is so awesome. We're going to take a quick break right here, Barbara. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your work in faith ba- faith-based communities. Stay with us. Sure. Wonderful. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest is on the phone with us, Barbara Satin, who is a transgender activist and deeply involved with LGBTQ issues locally and nationally, particularly around the issues of aging and faith. So, Barbara, I want to talk to you about that Um you know, you said, keep in mind, uh, I'm, I'm 81 years old, and I didn't know. <laughs> you, you know, I'm going by your voice, and uh, you sound as youthful as my uh, 12-year-old, you know, cousin. Uh, and, 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 and my guess is that, you know, you're now 
you know, living authentically and doing a whole lot of great work. And so perhaps you may be energized by your community. Um, but let's talk about the aging community because I feel like we don't talk enough about the, our senior community of the LGBTQ community, but uh, even more so the transgender community. You're right. We don't talk uh, about us, uh, and we are a community, the LGBT community, as uh, an old community. Uh, and I use the word old as an appropriate word. I, it's a word that uh, uh, we need to recapture. It's a good word. Many cultures you know, are very proud of their old people. Um, here in the U.S., we tend to use it as a pejorative and shy away from it. Um, but the, the LGBT uh, old community is very isolated. Um, you have to keep in mind that their lives, lived experience uh, is so dramatically different than what um, LGBT people um, are going through now. Uh, uh, here in Minnesota, we've had uh, transgender, uh, we, we've had LGBT human rights protection including the transgender community for since 1993 that's over two that's that's a generation and so LGBT people in Minnesota have been living with human rights protection for um, much of their lives uh, except for the old LGBT people and then they still can remember when you know they were arrested they were victimized they were condemned by their churches um, for being who they are. And so they, they have a difficult time uh, even understanding and accepting and making a part of their lives the progress that, that uh, so many of us see and enjoy uh, as uh, queer people. Um, they still are fearful, um, and that's particularly true when it comes to things like social services and, and health care. Uh, the old LGBT community is uh, oftentimes uh, trying to stay under the radar so that they don't have to go back and experience some of the mm -hmm. things they experienced uh, earlier in their lives. Um, so, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of the LGBT community who use their, their primary care physician is the emergency room, which means that if they have something to go wrong, medically, for example, um, they don't go to their doctor uh, because they're fearful. Of, mm -hmm. They're going to find out I'm gay or I'm lesbian or I'm a trans person. Um, and so they just wait and they end up in a crisis situation. So they end up in the emergency room uh, for something that probably could have been taken care of uh, in an earlier stage. So, uh, you know, the isolation that LGBT people face is, is as old people, is so sad. And, right. uh, um, and, and you know, actually things are going to change as the, uh, as the new baby boomer um, generation starts moving into, is already uh, getting older um, mm -hmm. and is part of the old community. But it, it's still going to be, uh, the people who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, as we live, as we live longer and and live uh, uh, hopefully uh, more effective lives as old people, um, th there's still going to be a lot of people looking for safety and security 
and, and very, being very mistrusting and fearful about how they're going to be treated. Mm-hmm. I, the holidays are upon us, Barbara, and, um, you know, I... I definitely have talked uh, a little bit about isolation and the LGBTQ senior community, but I wanted to address something while I have you. I know that um, I'm always trying to be a good ally to the trans community as a cis nonconforming lesbian. Uh, I I think that a lot of people don't think about um, also the severity of isolation that impacts and affects or transgender seniors who uh, may have come out, you know, much later in their life. So, for example, you know, I have a friend, a trans woman, um, who came out at uh, 70 years old and went through the transition period, and she lost her family in the process. And at 70-something years old um, and losing your, your entire family, I mean, especially during the holidays, it can be very difficult you know, what, what can allies do? How can we be sensitive to this very, very, you know, sad or, or a depressed state that, uh, you know, an elderly trans woman or trans man can be going through? Well, I think, I think first off, the, the, just the realization, which you, you've expressed uh, about knowing the situation and, and what impact it can have on, on a person's life is important. Uh, and then, you know, not only being empathetic, but then sympathetic in what way can, uh, is there anything that you can do as an individual or as a community or as a faith community to uh, step in and, and help in, in the Thanksgiving and, 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 uh, um, other, and the religious holidays that come around now are really stressful times for, they're stressful times for LGB people, and they're, and oftentimes particularly stressful for uh, trans people who uh, who can be you know cut off from from family from gr- mm-hmm. from children and grandchildren. Um, it's uh, but it's important to understand that first, and then uh, sort of think about how can I, as an ally, as a uh, a person who wants to be uh, supportive, how can I help in some way? And oftentimes, it's important to ask a question. How, how are you spending Thanksgiving? Uh, what is Thanksgiving? How does Thanksgiving impact you? Um, mm-hmm. Let people have a chance to tell their story um, and uh, then react to that in, in a positive way. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Barbara Satin, a transgender activist who works in the aging and um, faith-based uh, uh part of our activism and kind of what we do. We're, we started the show off by, you know, talking about the, a timeline that the Department of Defense has put forward that may uh, allow for transgender military service members to serve openly. And now we're discussing, you know, el- uh, trans uh, elderly issues. Um, I, I, I want to go back to the work that you do, Barbara, regarding, uh, you know, faith, mm-hmm. um, which is, I, in my opinion, at least, <laughs> it's really tough to have discussions sometimes in faith-based organizations regarding uh, even, you know, uh, LGBT, but especially transgender issues. We just heard from the Mormon Church, who is taking 
several steps back by changing their policies that impact same-sex couples and their children, but also they go further to even say that, you know, it's like almost like don't even think about uh, bringing transgender up because we, we don't support that at all. Um, how do you do what you do? Well, um, you know, a lot of the work I do is around uh, either allies or, well, LGBT people, but also of faith, but also allies and other um, progressive faith communities that want to do the right thing. Um, and I know that there are parts of the faith community that I'm never going to be able to uh, to move to understand who we as trans people are, but you know, you bring up the, and I have to, I have to raise this. You bring up the Mormon Church and their most recent um, absurdity, mm -hmm. um, cutting off um, not only um, LGBT people as apostates, but their children as uh, not even willing to give them a baptismal name. But oh, it was no more than ten days before that that the second-in-command of the Mormon Church was in California in a national gathering saying the Mormon Church and other religious groups have to stop demonizing the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And that got great publicity. I was in Salt Lake City at a conference, uh, a faith conference that we were having um, in the headquarters of the uh, Mormon Church, and it was, it was like um, the light had broken through the clouds and the Mormon church was finally understanding it. And then 10 days later, they come out with this 180 degree hateful statement. Um, and I just can't understand how they think they can have it both ways that they can say nice things, but do bad things. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for like big leaders or uh, I say big leaders, but, you know, uh, incredible leaders and activists like Kate Kendall of National Center for Lesbian Rights and taking a stand mm -hmm. and, you know, saying she's leaving the church or she had left the church spiritually, but officially she wanted her name pulled from roll call. Um, as as someone who also is a leader and in, in, in works in faith, uh, you know, are these the types of responses and ways and how we react that can also have a better impact for our lives in, in as far as like our relationship to religious institutions? Well, I, I know that that's going to be a, a tough sell for a lot of people who have not only felt demonized, but in many cases they've actually been publicly called out as um, dysfunctional um, um, people. Uh, and by their churches. And, you know, the faith communities can be uh, so life-saving and life-giving to individuals, but they can be just so murderous and hateful uh, when they uh, bring all of the power of God, as it were, against you. Um, we have something uh, in the faith department at, at the task force. We have what's called the Shower of Stoles, and it's about 1,200 religious stoles, which are worn by ministers and, and other faith leaders um, in religious ceremonies. And we have these 1,200 stoles, which basically come from people who have been defrocked or thrown out of their ministry. Um, and it's a, it's a amazing symbol uh, and testimony to the fortitude of these individuals who still are people of faith um, still are people of God, 
but their churches have uh, demonized them to the point where they have no longer been allowed to, to serve their God. Um, it, it's a sad, sad uh, issue, and we fight desperately to change the rubric, particularly we change, change the rubric around the uh, um, uh, the uh, media that keeps talking about this is an issue between people of faith and, and the LGBT community, which basically are a non-faith. That's not true. There are, there's the, the progressive Christian and, and, uh, and Jewish and other uh, faith organizations are very strongly supportive of LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it just galls me to read things about uh, we're uh, um, anti-Christian and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. No, we're not. Many of us are. Right. Right. about Christians. Barbara, uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. We have time for just one more question, and it, it, I don't even know if you can answer it quickly. Um, but, you know, there's been that big discussion floating around the Internet with a petition for the T to be dropped from LGB and T, uh, just for someone who does so much work within our community and different intersections of our lives, you know, religion and, and across LGBTQ and and someone as wise as you are uh, at your age uh, who has also served for this country. I mean, how ridiculous do you find that petition to be? I find it very ridiculous. Um, and I, I, I know where some of it comes from. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there are some who would say, if you really look at what we are, it really should be the TLGB community because the transgression of gender is probably the biggest reason why people are um, uh, so hostile uh, to the total LGBT community. Um, and, and so really the T sort of leads the, the, the transgender, the gender aggression of, uh, that we, we portray, the fact that we are um, sort of playing, not playing, that's not the right word, living a, a different gender than, than assigned. Um, is sort of the leading edge of, of the antipathy and, and anger and hatred that people spew against us. Barbara, thank you so much for being here on the program. I appreciate the opportunity, Michelle. Thank you for asking me. Barbara Satin, a transgender U.S. Air Force veteran, also an activist who's involved with uh, LGBTQ issues, both locally and nationally, and of course around the issues of aging and faith. For more information about Barbara and what Barbara does, you can head to thetaskforce.org slash staff bio Barbara Satin. When we come back, I'm in the hot seat. You'll want to stick around for this because you'll find out information about me that you never knew before. Don't go away. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, 
and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Okay, uh, I'll just introduce, <laughs> I mean, uh, um, you know, this is this is so weird. This is so interesting. We're in studio, and for the first time, actually, I'm recording my own interview. I'm not interviewing someone. Someone is interviewing me. So, Ashley, introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Ashley Regis. Um, I run a blog called Action of Edition um, at www.actionofedition.com. Um, and it is a it is a forum of radical voices, but also everyday people, everyday heroes <laughs> um, who are creating radical paradigms to the dominant status quo. That's so, so awesome. Well, I, I'm very happy that, uh, you know, you wanted to do this, like I said to you when you walked in, I normally don't do interviews uh, with people who do written form because I'm always like skeptical. Like, what are you writing over there? Like, are you actually <laughs> writing what I want you to write? Or are you <laughs> writing what you want to write? Um, but but I really like your work. So thank you for, for having me on your platform. Well, thanks for uh, the mutual platform here. I think it's kind of a, a cool... Uh, method. So um, anyways, my first question, and uh, um, maybe, you know, your your longtime listeners and fans already know this, but can you describe your current community um, mm -hmm. and what your what the current condition of the current community is and what your ideal community is? Yeah. So, you know, the show, which was not called the Michelle Miao show this year, it actually started out at Clear Channel, like, back in 2005, so like 10 years ago, um, when I worked there as an employee, and it was called Queer Channel at the time. Um, and it was a bunch of, you know, uh, LGBTQI folks who worked for Clear Channel who wanted to do a talk program on you know, the AM stations. I, I don't even know if young millennials know what AM frequency is. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and it, it really has evolved since then. I mean, people dropped out. There are producers who are in and out. And I kind of am the lonesome survivor of, of that project and kind of was, was a central neutral person who kept it going. So it went from Career Channel to, like, Out Loud Radio to, like, Shake Radio. <laughs> and then in 2008, I went rogue and independent and uh, quit Clear Channel. Um and wanted, you know, I wanted, I wanted this program to mean something to the LGBTQ community as, uh, you know, 
the politics around LGBTQ equality was starting to, it was starting to hit a, a, an extremely high point in 2008. California saw, you know, a petition to ban same-sex marriage. Uh, a lot of people know it as Prop 8. And so for me, it was like, you know, I'd go on an, I would go on air and talk about um, the reasons why we should vote no on eight and then go on commercial break. And there would be a ton of commercials for yes on eight. Like there was just something so wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left and I rebranded the show and called it Swirl. And Swirl was supposed to be like this melting pot of all of our voices like coming together that is inclusive of LGBTQI voices. So it wasn't necessarily that I was producing a show just for the LGBTQ community, but I think I saw it as, you know, uh, a, a, a format that we could introduce LGBTQI lives to mainstream media. Um and, you know, by the time you're sitting here talking to me, I, I have dropped the name Swirl and have, you know, it, it's like the graduation point for me. This is like my junior debut or senior debut as the Michelle Miao show and really understanding that the heart of the program is, you know, uh, is the voices that I'm able to bring onto the program that is inclusive of LGBTQI people, uh, but also inclusive of people who don't understand, you know, some of the, uh, I guess, emerging identities um, that mainstream media hasn't picked up on. And that is inclusive of people who, you know, might just be queer or might be uh, asexual or, you know, and all those things. So in a very long way to answer your question, my community is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between. I love that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I talk a lot. No, no, that's fantastic. No, keep talking. No. So um, next question then. Um, so when you say when you were the lone survivor at at Queer Channel, um, mm-hmm. I mean, what I mean, being that lone voice is really difficult. Like what kept you going? Was it? Yeah. Can you just talk about that? You know, it's just kind of unbelievable to me. And I think that, I, you know, I think that I I was naive at that age. I mean, I was like all of 23, 24. And, you know, you're you feel invincible. You feel you feel like the world revolves around you to some degree. So I really didn't read the writing on the wall that this large corporation like Clear Channel, um, you know, was very hesitant to be supportive of queer lives in, in a political way. I mean, you you have to understand Clear Channel is, is, I think, still a pretty conservative company that was headquartered out in San Antonio. And so to me, it had always been this like natural feeling of, you know, I matter. I matter. And I'm different, but that doesn't mean that I don't matter. And I just kind of always felt like, no, this is really important for us to continue talking. And it starts with exposure. Like we have to put ourselves out there in order to make change. And we have to start normalizing, you know, the way we interact with our neighbors and, you know, our our employers. And and we kind of got to move from the angry phase of, you know, uh, uh, be out or be queer and start living our lives like everybody else. Cause we are like everybody else. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that kind of was like why I, I, I felt like we just got to keep doing this. This is, this is going to go somewhere. Yeah. But if you asked me 10 years ago, if I thought that we would have marriage equality today, uh, I would have, I would have said no. Uh, you know, I think the purpose of me doing the show wasn't necessarily for marriage equality, but it was for, just people to respect one another. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we still have obviously, you know, a 
leaps and bounds <laughs> right. so much more to go. Um, but what do you think is the role of media um, in, you know, both at, you know, you have this national reach and a global reach really with the internet. And, um, but what about at the local and neighborhood level? Like how mm-hmm. do you find your tools? Um, you know, how do you find those integrating with the community needs? Yeah. The, you know, the show is very interesting. So the radio show has a, you know, online reach um, more on the progressive voices network, but our television show is very local. Mm-hmm. It's San Francisco based. It's on coffee tv.com it would tell you which channel it is um and you know and i think that that it's it's a it's so interesting because you would think that San Francisco, the epicenter of the gay universe or the gay mecca, would have an abundance of like queer media, but we really don't. And it's it's um interesting to me that I'm still somewhat considered one of the only local, you know, queer inclusive LGBTQ specific talk programs. Wow. Um, so you know, to kind of answer your question in in uh, in in that you know the the purpose of of how local media and what that means to me. I mean, a good percentage, I'd say over half the the viewers that we get on coffee TV are not LGBTQI. In fact, they're they're parents of like queer kids. They're religious leaders who have, you know, faith based or, or, you know, uh, gay people that, you know, are inclusive in their churches. And, and they're all, all people from all kinds of uh, or walks of life. And that's what I'm very, very proud of. And that's how I know that, you know, that making a difference by just being out there and exposing your life, um, even if that person doesn't understand you or doesn't know you, doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Yeah. Don't go away. When we come back, I'm on the other side of the seat. I'm actually being interviewed. I'm being interviewed by Ashley Regis, who has a blog called actionofaddition.com. So don't go away. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, Leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Absolutely. That's fantastic. 
Um, so you have a, harnessed a wide community of supporters um, and all, you know, from within the community A to Z. Um, can you describe um, a time or an event during which your work or occupation or project had an obstacle and you had to reach out to the community for help? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because when I first started this program, um, uh, when I joined Queer Channel, it was not financially supported by the company, if you'll believe it. We were all volunteers. And so the only way that I could be a part of the program was, you know, they wanted to hire me in as a full-time salesperson. (laughs) So my first job actually was technically not a radio talk, you know, show host. I was an account executive for Clear Channel and they pretty much gave me the yellow pages and said, you know, call whomever, whatever, that if you want this program to exist, you have to find the funding. So I was like 23 years old, scared. You know, I don't talk, I don't, really talk to people like that. I don't sell any, I don't know how to sell anything. Um, so I wrote this like letter to the community. I identified like gay businesses or gay friendly businesses and wrote like a thousand, you know, letters and signed it asking for financial help to fund this program. And the very first person who answered my email was a progressive bail bonds, um, company, bearish (laughs) bail bonds. They're not there on Bryant street anymore in San Francisco. But uh, <laughs> they gave me two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, but it was That's the first $250 that somebody wrote to Clear Channel that said, I want this program to exist. I care about this program. And then the second person who answered my my letter uh, was a, a C, the CEO of Triton Funding when mortgage lending was like at an all time high. And uh, his sponsorship was six thousand dollars a month. Wow. And yeah. So then the company was like, holy crap. I think people really do care about gay people. And it's funny how like money makes you care about people all of a sudden. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I think I, I, I went off on a tangent there and kind of explaining, uh, you know, uh, what was your question again? Sorry. Um, uh, you know, how, um, how the, uh, what was the outcome of having to reach out to the community? Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I was telling you a really long way of the, you know, so just to start from there, I mean, you know, for somebody to say, that's great that you're gay and you want to talk about these issues that's important to you, but you have to go find the money to do it. I mean, I was working like three full time jobs and, and you know what I mean? And so it was like, well, but uh, Elvis and so and so of the doghouse making fun of Asians on the air on 94.9, you're paying them like a million dollars a year and you're not asking them to go find their own advertisers, you yeah. know? So that was an obstacle. It's always been an obstacle to get it financially funded. Um, some other obstacles, I mean, you know, I'm, I think still, even if they put me on the air today, I would be considered probably one of the only Asian lesbian females on talk radio. Yeah. Um, so I've had many, you know, I have many fond or not fond bad memories of men always asking me like, you know, is there a a gay, a male version of you? I I don't know what that, you know, how to answer that question, but I, I get, I get that a lot. Uh Um, I don't get the, you know, I get a lot of the Michelle, I understand, you know, gay people are important, but there's just no money there. And it, it just makes you feel horrible. And, and I'll just give you a great example of the scars and the continued abuse that I, I, I oftentimes face in terms of discrimination is I was talking about this all last week, but my experience in Bentonville, Arkansas and being misgendered by the CEO of Walmart and, and, you know, and, and just those things remind you that we do really have so much more, uh, you know, work to do. 
Absolutely. Wow. Um, I think it's interesting that, you know, when you started here and you were a volunteer and, you know, you were part of an all volunteer force, I find that to be something really common um, among the community organizing uh, community. Um, and, you know, you said you had three full time jobs to support yourself. You know, well, with the lack of jobs and with, uh, uh, you know, the lack of monetary opportunities for young people, especially um, and of all ages, as we know, um, how do we all come together to support each other? That's that's the answer. We have to come together. Um, You know, I just explained to you that, yeah, today I'm sitting in my very own studio. Like I can actually tell you, like, this is my studio Um, because, you know, two, three people who really believe in what I do, who really love me, who really care about me, Dennis Cruz and his wife, Shirley, Dennis Cruz being my, you know, executive uh, producer and, you know, the GM of my studio here. He he and his wife got, you know, on a ladder and and YouTube drywalling to put up my studio because we couldn't afford contractors. We had a guy, you know, do the electrical rewiring of the studio for free because he believes in, you know, in inequality and 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 um, LGBTQI lives. I mean, that's what we have to do. We have to come together and we have to help one another to empower our communities and to to really fight for, you know, equality. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, how do you see the role of LGBTQ voices uh, leading and continuing and adapting in a changing world and in an evolving society? Um, and not just in society, in um, in the media specifically. And um, I ask this, you know, because, you know, we uh, see in Canada, um, the parliament uh, was just elected by, you know, or appointed by Trudeau, and he has 50% female. And he says, you know, this is because it's 2015, we have to have 50-50. Um, is there a percentage that you'd like to see with LGBTQ voices and people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that at this point, though, I don't want to ask for too much because I just feel like we need to get there where uh, LGBTQI is is just a part of the everyday process. You know, yeah. currently we 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 lack in that, right? We, yeah, we have um, LGBTQI politicians, um, but you have to remember. I mean, it really is the the infant stages of our political movement. Not so much of the gay liberation movement. I mean, that has been going on, you know, since the fifties, right? But when you talk about marriage equality and the repeal of DOMA and marriage equality in all 50 states, that was all of like last year. Right. And so we still have um, a significant amount of work to to kind of be not just the gay best friend on Will and Grace or, you know, the hot lesbians from the real L word or something like that. Like we we actually have a long way to go to to really put the the real faces of LGBTQI out there. Yeah, which which is, you know, people of color, the most marginalized. And Caitlyn Jenner is not what (laughs) transgender women look like in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really representing that um, heteronormative, you know, um, face. But it it does not at all represent the range, the Mm -hmm. wide, amazing range um, of just the human body um, and the human face. well, just about, you know, to go back to you uh, personally, um, what, you know, I like to ask everybody in my interviews, like what makes your heart sing? Um, what makes you feel deeply passionate? And what makes you wild with joy? <laughs> oh, man, I think there's two Michelles, you know, there's Michelle Meow on the air. Um, and then there's, you know, Michelle Meow on the weekends. And I, I'll give you a personal and a professional, you know, what makes my heart sing. It, I 
I was removed actually from my studio for a couple of weeks because I was traveling. Um, I also am the board president for San Francisco Pride. And so I was doing a bunch of, uh, you know, board level work. And then I just mentioned to you, I traveled to Walmart to talk about racial inequality, racial injustice, low income communities, all the different intersections of my life and how like the largest retailer actually impacts me, uh, especially as a queer woman. And so I didn't have a chance to be in the studio much, but, you know, this week is the most that I've spent in my studio in, in a month. And oh, my gosh, you know, that is that is what I love. That is my passion, which is talking to people and in learning from people, even if they're on the far, 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 you know, right side of things. Like I've spoken to Scott Lively and, you know, the Kleins who are the people who who send Christian cakes to gay people like, you know, but I always learn something from doing this radio show. So I know that that probably sounds so textbook to you, but it really is. This is my dream come true. This is my passion. And, and, um, you know, on the weekends, um, what me, you know, what, what I really, really enjoy doing, uh, I enjoy, you know, slipping on my Crocs, (laughs) (laughs) um, and, you know, and uh, and just not giving a crap. And um, I do random things like I'll go to Costco and enjoy like tasting the appetizers that they put out. Um, <laughs> Regan style. I like it. Yeah. Like I, I, I just love the simple things in life. I love just being simple. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, um, to be honest, those were all of the questions that I had uh, for you. So um, thank you so much for sharing. And I really appreciate the opportunity to interview you on your own show. <laughs> awesome. This was so much fun. I think we should do this should be like a segment. It should be like a, you know, let's check in with Michelle um, and, and all that stuff. I, I actually, you know, I have so many other crazy stories in in. So you're more than welcome to come back and hear those stories anytime. Thank you. I'd be very happy to. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.